Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 211, Johannes Grossel, Embedded Sempaternalism, Theological Models Beyond Presentism and Eternalism. This is the sixth and last part of our special series in which we're presenting the talks of a one-day international workshop on God and time. In this interesting talk, Dr. Johannes Grossel, who's a systematic theologian and philosopher of religion at the University of Siegen in Germany, takes us through some cutting-edge work on God and time, which are four of what he calls in-between views. This includes work by such top-notch philosophers as Dean Zimmerman and William Lane Craig. And if you look at the blog post for this episode, you can see Dr. Grossel's four charts, which represent the differences between these four related models of the relationship between God and time. He's also generously given permission for you to download the slides from his presentation, so you can get that PDF and then just click through as you're hearing him talk. Some differences between these views concern questions like, did God or didn't God wait around for an infinitely long time before creating? And does God exist in his own undifferentiated time, or is created time the only time? Furthermore, is time a thing at all? Is time among the things that God has created, or is time merely a measurement of changes in real things? It's not a talk with a simple point, but I think it's an exciting talk, because philosophers of religion are not just recycling ancient ideas about God and time, but they're tackling things like what do we do with relativity theory in physics, and what do we do with what looks like a straightforward portrayal of a changing God in scripture? Someone who's doing different things at different times, and someone who responds, someone who gets into arguments with people, and so on. Seems a little too easy to just wave one's hand and say, well, that's just accommodation. God just decided to reveal in terms that would be familiar to us. Of course, the people with these theories don't really claim to have much difficulty in understanding the concept of an absolutely timeless deity. So it's not clear why God couldn't have just easily revealed that he's absolutely timeless and incapable of any sort of change. The theories discussed in this talk assume that God is capable of change, and so can in some sense be temporal. Dr. Grossel calls these sorts of views embedded sempaternalism. Sempaternalism is not just that God exists in time, but that God exists at all times, or God can't not exist, so there can't be a time in which there is no God. Embedded, I take it, communicates that in some sense, God is in time, if not our time, then in his own time. In any case, on these views, God is capable of change, even though, as the Bible straightforwardly asserts, his character is absolutely unchanging, which means that we can completely depend on God to be faithful to his covenants. So it's not a simple talk with one straightforward point, and he's not talking quite about his own views, but I think you'll see where Dr. Grossel's sympathies lie, and this talk is a very good introduction to very sophisticated recent work by leading Christian philosophers on how to understand the relationship between God and time. So, thank you. I'm happy to be able to speak to you today, 
As you might have heard, I'm uh, more on the um, presentist temporalist camp, uh, but today I want to explore the theories in the middle. We have heard uh, from Natalia already that there are these intermediate views um, by William Lane Craig, by um, Alan Paget, for example, and I always try to make sense out of these intermediate views. And it was quite hard for me because at first we heard that about the William Lane Craig view. At first, it sounds just incomprehensible. So that's my task for today, at least show some possible interpretations or how I made sense of these intermediate views. But before that, uh, I wanted to start uh, or have a very quick inter introduction, especially uh, defining my terms, which is also important. Let us start with God. It's always an easy thing to define God. I like uh, Swinburne's definition here. Uh, Swinburne defines God as a person without a body, which is a spirit, who necessarily is eternal, perfectly free, omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly good, and the creator of all things. So he includes the word eternal here, but as we know, Swinburne is a temporalist, so he doesn't interpret eternal here uh, in the sense of timeless. And that is why it's important here to define eternal, what eternal means. Before we come to eternity, let's start with temporality, because Swinburne def defines eternality in temporal terms. So what does it mean to be temporal? And I think here very often some misunderstandings come into place, especially when temporalists engage with uh, divine atemporalists. I will define temporality, X is temporal, as X is mutable. That might be interesting to you because aren't that two different things? Isn't it possible for a thing to be mutable but not temporal or the other way around? But that is actually based on Aristotle's definition it is clear then that time is a number arithmos of movement, often translated change, in respect of the before and after, and is continuous since it is an attribute of what is continuous. So let's look back. The definition X is temporal is defined as it's mutable. So being temporal does not mean that something is in time. That is important because in time already presupposes that there is a substance time or that there is a series of events or a worldly or even a physical time. All this is not referred to when we talk in a wider sense that something is temporal. Of course, in a narrower sense, temporal could mean can be something that is in physical time. But in a wider sense, when we attribute temporality to God, here the definition is only that it's mutable. So when we talk, say that God is temporal, we only mean that God is mutable, that he's not immutable, which the atemporalists claim. What I leave open here is the two possibilities, and we talked about that already a little, if mutability is enough to be temporal, or if a temporal being actually has to actualize this potency. Mutability is only a potency. You can be mutable, but actually not changing at all. That would be a kind of timelessness, which is not a necessary timelessness. So you can imagine that God is timeless. He could change, but he doesn't. Like he would change if he had created a universe, but he eternally decided not to create a universe and therefore he stays timeless in some sense. If, however, timelessness is a necessary attribute, which I think it is, we got that here, who necessarily is eternal in Swinburne's definition, then timelessness and the potency to change is incompatible. A temporal being if there is, is then not only mutable, but also changing. What is time then? Time is a linear measure of change 
and maybe irreversible change if we want, want to bring some direction into time too, which is usually done. So we cannot just like undo time or time uh, cannot go in one direction, go the other direction than the first direction. So time is that what Aristotle said, a measure of change, a linear measure. And in this sense, God's time is highly distinguished from physical time. We can say the time and is not a concept, a broad concept, we apply time to certain entities. So time of the universe would be the measure, linear measure of the universe, of the events going on in the universe. But we can also measure some things like time of my life, even time of my experience, the succession of my experiences. And of course, also the time of God. Aristotle's definition that time is a number of change was widely received in the Middle Ages, where Aristotle was brought into theology, famously by Thomas Aquinas, who more or less used or copied the definition of Aristotle and applied this one unto God too. God is atemporal and therefore for Aquinas he's immutable. Because he's immutable, he is atemporal. So God is temporal, and I'm here um, on the, the second definition before that immutable, immutability and actual change is necessary for temporal. We can discuss that. It's just my decision here for like the, the, the second one, that actual, actual change and not only the potency is necessary because I, I think timelessness is necessary, timelessness if at all, but that's disputable. And... Um, I don't have to bring in mutability here because change implies mutability. If something changes, then it also has to have the potency to change. That's why I can leave this out here. So God is temporal if and only if God is changing. God is sempiternal. We've heard this concept before. That is an addition to that God is changing because if God is changing, he could even cease to exist. He can commit suicide. But we think God exists necessarily. Therefore, he cannot commit suicide. He always exists. Very often, sempiternality is explicated that additionally to God is changing. It said something that there is no time in which God does not exist. But that is again misleading because for temporalists, time as an actual thing or as a container does not exist. So it does not make sense, neither for God nor for entities in the world, that there is no time in which God does not exist. So the better definition here is just add he exists necessarily so he can change but not radically change most temporalists distinguish we have heard that today too between essential attributes of god and accidental attributes of god so there are some essential attributes including his existence that cannot be changed either by himself by any of his actions nor by any other beings cannot be killed by another god or something but the accidental attributes, for example, his knowledge about the contingent world can change. That God is eternal would just be the uh, contradiction of God is temporal, which is God is changing. So God is eternal means that God is not changing and probably added here, that's a discussion from before, that he's necessarily not changing, so necessarily immutable. And also a little misleading, this exists outside of time, but that is usually added or also a part of the definition of eternality. So eternality is often just defined, he exists outside of time, but the better definition is God is necessarily unchanging. 
I think I only have one Bible quote in here, just what eternalists often refer to. They have certain parts of scripture that they refer to, for, for example, Malachi, for I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. But very interesting, often if you uh, see the context of these quotes, like here, it is actually that the Lord remains truthful to his people, that he doesn't change, that he breaks his promises, for example. Such quotes are more an argument for sempiternality, that certain essential attributes remain, while certain accidental attributes might change. And there are even parts where um, God repents of what he's doing, where he changes his mind. But we already discussed a little exegesis today, and we know that we cannot just derive the concept of God out of the Bible. So that is just interesting to see where are there um, similarities or dissimilarity. But I think we cannot base one, either the temporalism or atemporalism of uh, Bible quotes. That's not possible. Therefore, philosophical reflection on this topic is so important. And then as a second step, we can see how does that relate to, to the Bible. John Lucas, one big um, uh, proponent of the Oxford School of Temporality, wrote in 1989 his book, The Future, that personality implies timelessness. And we've heard that today already too, at least as questions. Isn't that the case that personality implies temporality? And Lucas exa makes exactly this case. Quote, if we are to characterize God at all, we must say that he is personal, and if personal, then temporal, and if temporal, then in some sense, in time, not outside it. Of course, there are some details of the argument and what exactly are the necessary attributes of, uh, of personality. He quotes Robert Coburn a lot on these issues about what, what is necessary to personality. Cannot go in there, too. But we've heard a little bit um, in the last uh, talks about that personality is about forming intention, about acting, also about experiencing or interacting. I think that's most of open theists, and John Lucas can be um, seen as a proponent of open theism, and also process theologians see interaction as a necessary attribute of uh, personality. So the argument kind of like taken apart would be God is essentially personal. It's just not that God becomes personal at some times. It's also a necessary attribute of his. Personality necessarily implies interaction. Therefore, God necessarily interacts. And um, the question is with whom? If, if there's a solitude state of God, we actually have a problem. With whom should God interact? If personality requires interaction then God could not exist in solitude. Then either he would necessarily have to create, then we are uh, a, like emanation, neoplatonic theories of emanation, or the material world exists co-eternal with God, then we're in process theology, or God is more than one person, 
and there's a, a essential or, or a eternal inter, inner Trinitarian interaction, then we're what is called social Trinitarianism. So that's the options I see here. Interaction necessarily involves change, and change uh, necessarily implies temporality. That would be Lucas' argument. And therefore, taking all these premises together, God is necessarily temporal. And of course, there's again this in some sense in time, not outside it. So John Lucas was aware that saying in time is misunderstanding because as a genuine temporalist, you cannot say something that something is in time because that would require time to exist additional to the present. But for presentists, only the present exists, only the present state of reality or the universe. Presentism applied to God means that God only in his current state exists. The past of God does not exist. The future of God does not yet exist. And therefore, God, the temporal God, also does not have temporal parts. So this argument that goes back to Plato, that from simplicity, a temporality is derived, uh, does just not work in a temporalist, presentist perspective, because God, for the, the temporalist, God does not have temporal parts. He exists now. It's an endurantist identity of God you could say, um, God wholly exists in the present, but changes. I think that are really important distinctions in this whole um, debate on temporalism and atemporalism. Interestingly, the arguments of open theists and proponents of the Oxford School of Temporality presuppose some relationalism about time. So time does not exist additionally to God, then that would be actually a problem. Then God could be prisoner of time, Brian already told us about, and, uh, and uh, Natalia too. But uh, time is a necessary concomitant of God's personal nature. And by changing, God constitutes something, what we could say, divine time. Many people say it's like metaphysical time, but it's God's time. It's not physical time. So even if the world did not exist... If God changes, there would be time, and that's God's time, the measure of God's change. So time does not exist independent of God. But that is God's time. What about worldly time? And here um, uh, the pro uh, proponents of the intermediate view give uh, us several alternatives or uh, concepts to think about. All of them like proponents of the intermediate views, um, distinguish between two kinds of time, and not only of time itself, but even of divine time. So God has two different states, the states independent of creation or before creation. Maimonides called this a changeless pseudo-time or a dead time. Dean Zimmerman has a paper called God Inside Time and Before Creation, where he makes all these distinctions. And argues that God's prior time, like prior to creation, has no intrinsic metric. There is actually not a succession of certain states that can be measured. And that's where these intermediate views are distinguished from naive forms of temporalism, where it says God has infinite moments in the past and infinite moments of the future. So naive temporalism is just an extension of world or physical time to God. And there are some good arguments for, for this view. There are also some arguments for this view, but also some, uh, it's, it's a highly disputed uh, version, just extending worldly time to God. 
But most of the proponents of divine temporality have a view where they distinguish divine time and physical time. And by creating the world, God changes too because he starts to relate himself to the physical time. The time before creation, for Zimmerman, there is no intrinsic measure, but this time has fulfills one criteria, which is really important uh, for Zimmerman, that there are tense truths about God. For instance, it has always been true that God is presently omniscient and benevolent. So there are tense truths about God's state before creating the world. In the article, Zimmerman argues about um, for a substantivalist account of God's time post-creation. What does that mean? I have like uh, some some graphics to make this a little more clear coming up. But after creation, God is generally temporal because he engages in some way with created time. And since created time has a measure, probably linear succession, God engages in this change too what temporalists think. God acts in the world, that he experiences what happens in the world, and he might react to the world and experience again what happens. Quoting Zimmerman, one might hold that if there are things in time, then there must exist contingent things called times, and God must be related to them. But this could be conjoined with a thesis that God need not have been in time, since he need not have created things in time. Given that he chose to create times, he cannot help but coexist with them temporally. But that needn't be thought to limit him in any way, or so one might argue. William Craig is a proponent of such an intermediate view between temporalism and atemporalism. And that's something that it took me a hard time to make sense of this. Quoting him, it might be asserted that even on the relational view of time, there can be time prior to the first event, because one may abstract from individual events to consider the whole universe as a sort of event, which occurs as its creation. There would thus be a before and an after with regard to this event. So there's a before creation and after creation. And a relation of before and after is the primitive relation of which time consists. So on the one hand, Craig argues for divine timelessness, but also he argues for a change in God when God creates. And How does, does these two things go together? God changes when he creates. God, and what is really important also for his Kalam argument, why, why we need this change in God, is because creation, for Greg, for open theists, for most um, classical theists even, they accept that God is free not to create the world. It's important to make an ontological difference between the world and God, and that difference is that the world exists contingently, God exists necessarily, and then there has to be some explanation why the world exists. 
And this explanation is because God decided to create the world. If that's not a free decision, if God did not have free will not to create the world, then it would be better to talk uh, or use the concept of emanation than creation. So it's really important for the concept of creation so that creation is something contingent, that God created contingently. If that's a free decision of God, God is forming intentions, that's what we talked before, then that means that there must be a time, divine time, not physical time, of course, where uh, God has not decided yet whether to create a world, whether forming the intention, I want to create a world, and then the state where he actually creates the world. The problem about this free decision in naive temporalism is that if there are infinite moments in God's time before creating the world, then one question slash objection can be raised, and that was raised, especially by Brian Lefto, but already before. Why didn't God create the world sooner? If you apply Leibniz's principle of sufficient reason, there's nothing, no new information that is coming to God, where like his uh, intentions might change. So there is no good reasons for God. Uh, there are no good reasons for God to create the world sooner or later. So that question cannot be answered. Why didn't God create the world sooner? And one way is just to dismiss it and say, well, that's a mystery. We cannot know. And God just decides for himself when, when he wants to create. Or we reject naive temporalism and do not think of God's time as a sum of moments before creating the world. And that is what these proponents of intermediate views propose, that there are not several times or an infinite uh, amount, number of moments before creation, but actually just one moment, one eternal timeless moment. And here, of course, eternal timeless, these concepts are really hard to apply here because it's not the same as what uh, eternalists mean when they use the word timeless. And using this form of timelessness here brings these misunderstandings, and Greg is very often quoted with God is timeless before creation but becomes temporal after creation. So the naive view would be there are infinite amounts of times before creation and also in the future. God is everlasting, has always existed and will always exist. And at some point, he decides to create the world. And in that time, every moment of God's time is one moment of physical time. So there's a parallelity, a temporary parallelity. So that's probably not plus infinity. Maybe it is, we don't know. Um, but that could stop at some point, and then God's time continues. The intermediate view would be that there's not a certain number of times before that, but one eternal moment. And at this one moment, God makes the decision to create. And after creation, and here after on the blue line, after deciding to create the world, God is in a relationship with creation and possibly forever. When I leave that open is also, so that doesn't have to be only the physical creation. Assume we creatures um, or some of us continue to exist forever, then um, that actually there will be an infinite amount of times where God relates to his creatures, just not with physical creation. There are two variants of this model too, which I call semi-sempaternalism, relationalist and a substantivalist version of it. 
And that is what Dean Zimmerman defended, is that God actually created times, or he created the world, which included creating time. That's what we hear a lot about defenders of divine timelessness, is that God created time. If that's the case, substantivalist view, then God created time. Time is related to creation. Dean Zimmerman has this huge uh, paper um, in the Oxford Handbook uh, for Philosophy of Time about uh, where he argues why special relativity is compatible with divine temporality, where he argues for a privileged reference frame, which is more or less God's perspective on the world. And that only works in the substantivalist view. I think that's his reasons why he prefers this over this view is the whole special relativity debate. What's still true in these Model 2 or Model 1 and Model 2 are similar is that after creating the world, God changes successively with his creation. So every time something happens in creation, God receives the information what happens. That could be free decisions of creatures, that could be just random events. Here, God does not know what happens in the future. That doesn't mean that he's not omniscient, because omniscience is defined as God knows all true propositions. He knows all which is the case. And as a presentist, the future here just does not exist. And therefore, uh, propositions here do not have truth values. And therefore, God's lacking this knowledge is not uh, taking away his omniscience. If we want to get a little closer to the atemporalist view, so what I do here is discuss these intermediate views. And that's our, our, that is still very close to temporalism, just a slight modification. So if we want to um, take timelessness more serious, as um, uh, Ludwig Neidhardt said in his talks, um, the Christian tradition is very strongly arguing for divine timelessness. So as a Christian theologian, of course, one wants to take tradition serious and maintain tradition as long as if there are no strong arguments not to. And I think there are good arguments not to uh, defend the extreme version of timelessness or divine acidity, where God is not dependent at all on creation. My motivation here is because I think it's not um, compatible with libertarian free will. You have mentioned that in your talk too. But that's a different discussion. So uh, maybe there are still intermediate views that are stronger going into divine timelessness, but are not as radical as timelessness that God is completely independent um, of the world and not changing at all. So Craig said uh, the whole universe is a sort of event which occurs at its creation. I meditated this quote for a while and I wondered what does he mean with that? Does he mean just the first moment of the universe? But that's not how I read it in the context. It's actually the whole universe. That is a little bit what 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 Cord means. That he might uh, like create just not only the first moment, but the whole uh, universe. And this is what I call embedded sempiternalism. In embedded sempiternalism, God only needs two or three moments. So the first moment is where. God exists in solitude or an inner Trinitarian almost solitude. He decides to create the world, setting the beginning, creating the natural laws. All these unfold in one moment of God's time. 
So God does not necessarily have to relate himself to worldly time. He does not have to become temporal. The only thing what he needs to do is if the universe has contingency, if it's not a deterministic universe, which we don't think it is, if we believe in randomness and in free will, then we think there's some information to be gained from the universe. And if that's the case, there needs to be a moment where God receives this information. So what actually happened in the world? God created the world and God all at once sees what's happening, but that is not simultaneous with his creation. There are some arguments about why there could be circular arguments here. Then God could make his uh, decision what kind of world to create somehow dependent on his uh, knowledge of contingencies, which would be uh, quite problematic. And then after receiving this knowledge, there would be a third state or more states. We can only speculate about that, but where God has the knowledge about what happened in the created world. That would be very close to eternalism because it's a relative timelessness. Compared to our world, all of our world, thousand years, is comprised in one day, in one moment of God's time. The advantages of this model is God is timeless in respect to creation, although not totally timeless. God's knowledge about contingent events depends on those events. So that's important for free will and real contingency. God is temporal in respect to himself because he changes. He's not immutable, but as immutable as he can be when he creates. God's time and physical time are clearly distinguished. So the only analogy between God's time and uh, physical time is here that it has to do something with change. God is the creator of time. That is worldly time, either taken together with creation or as a separate um, container, it's usually described. And the time substantivalism, that's why I use this word, uh, model here, provides a privileged reference frame also for um, dealing with special relativity. That would be the advantages of this model. And of course, uh, there are disadvantages. Every model in this discussion has advantages and disadvantages. Here, it's really hard to account for divine action in time. And Christian tradition also holds that God did not only create the world, but in some way interacts with the world. And whether it is speaking to people or becoming incarnate or even uh, working miracles. But that is possible to integrate in this model. God just has to make the natural laws very complicated by including certain, certain plans how to deal with contingencies. So it has to be eternal decision. If a person speaks a certain petition or prayer, I would answer this prayer in a certain way and building this into the mechanism uh, of the world from eternity. So there are also ways to overcome the disadvantages, but they become pretty complicated. And here could one could argue with ontological scarcity and uh, argue for model one. Also, and disadvantages here is that uh, God's memory cannot serve as a truth maker for past truths. Because what people like about this first model, presentists especially, like about this model that um, God knows all about the past here and can serve as a truth maker for like the proposition I had pizza for lunch yesterday. 
and so assume there is no evidence in the world anymore, no properties that like no Lucretian properties about that say anything about what I did yesterday, then it's still God is the universal recording device of the universe. Uh, Alan Roda argues for this in several papers. And that solves a really problematic issue in philosophy of time, like this um, grounding of past truths for presentists. That works in model one, but not really anymore in model three. That's a disadvantages. And of course, there is no real life interaction between uh, God and human, just interact, in indirect interaction. Okay, I finish with a quote by Alan Paget, who has this uh, has such an intermediate view, but not clearly defined in which direction it goes. God is timeless relative to the created space-time cosmos, but also in some ways temporal. All points of our created time are simultaneous with some points of God's eternity. He says with some points, that could be one point, then that would be model three, or some points that could be even some model between two and three where God only changes at some points, for example, when he interacts with, cre with creation, what he does not always do. So that quote leaves open a lot of possibilities, but it gives us the frame of thinking these models. So with some points of God's eternity, but our space-time universe does not measure God's infinite temporality. Because God is a dynamic and changing being, God is still temporal in some sense. God is immutable in essence, but changing in interrelationship with the world and with us. Because God is a changing being, God has to be temporal to some degree. Okay, I'll finish here. Thank you very much. This week's thinking music has been the track Scuba by Simon Mathewson. As always, there's a link on the blog post for this episode where you can listen to or download that entire track. Next week, among other things, I'll give a little bit of a personal update about things that have been going on in my life, something which I really don't do very often on the Trinity's podcast. And if you're one of the supporters of the Trinity's podcast through Patreon or through PayPal, keep an eye out for an email from me. I'm going to do in some form another video chat update with supporters and give them more detail about things that have been going on and ideas I have for the podcast and other things that I'm doing. If you love the Trinity's podcast, please share this episode on social media like Twitter or Facebook and help other people to find the podcast by giving us an honest rating and review in the iTunes store for your country. You can also support the Trinity's podcast by giving a certain donation per episode. If you're interested in that, please visit patreon.com slash trinities. Finally, let us know what you think. Give us a comment on the blog post for this episode or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash trinities. The Trinities podcast is supported by and made for thinking believers like you. Thanks for your support, prayers, and encouragement.
for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.